0: Welcome to the Prairie Dock radio program. I'm Laura Ellsworth filling in today for Joan Hogan. I help with the fundraising efforts for the Healing Words Foundation, which is the nonprofit organization that supports this radio program, on-call television, on South Dakota public broadcasting, and other efforts to provide honest, science-based medical information. We are going to spend some time today talking about living wills and advanced directives. So if you have a question about that, or if there is a topic of interest to you that you'd like to have us discuss today, you may give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With me today in the studio is Dr. Jill Cruz. Dr. Cruz's specialty is family medicine, and she practices with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and the Brookings Health System. Good morning, Dr. Cruz. Good morning, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, we really appreciate that. I know you've been on the show a few times and uh, we always love hearing from you and what you have to share with our listeners. Thanks for taking the time this morning, appreciate it. So we're gonna be talking about living wills, advanced directives and things like that. So can you um, start by just telling us a little bit about what is a living will? So a living will is a legal document
1: which allows you to express what your wishes are for end-of-life care Um, and it can be as detailed uh, as you want it to be so Mm -hmm. there's no specific thing that has to be in it aside from uh, basically saying what what do you want have done and If your heart were to stop, do you want people to perform CPR? Do you want people to put a breathing tube down your throat and breathe for you? Do you want us to give medications to you? Uh, That is usually the, the minimum that's discussed in what's called a code status. And it can also be discussing other things. Do you want to have artificial nutrition given? Do you want to have a, a feeding tube given? Do you want to have IV fluids given? What do you want done if you are in a health situation where you are not able to speak for yourself? Mm-hmm. So if you are you know in a coma, or if you are so sick that you're not um, thinking coherently or able to, Uh, make an informed decision and someone needs to make it for you this is you saying ahead of time this is what my values are this is what my wishes are please abide by these things that are
0: important to me Mm hmm yes Um, I really think of living wills as really a gift to your family and friends as well because when they are faced with some difficult decisions to have to know oh this is what this person I love wants and to have that document to help encourage you and make those decisions is definitely
1: I think it definitely takes a lot of pressure off of the family and and the caregivers are saying, this is my decision. No, this is what that person would want. And so Mm -hmm. we're respecting and honoring their wishes and and their values and not having to guess. And that is very important. Uh, So you don't have to put that pressure on family to say what's the right decision, what's the wrong decision, Mm -hmm. Uh, because there are so many decisions and, it's not something that you want to ask your family members to make during a crisis. Mm -hmm. I I always tell patients, I would much rather have this conversation at two in the afternoon when it's a theoretical issue than at two in the morning when I need answers now. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have this to guide us, then we're really maybe doing more or less than what someone wants us to do. Mm -hmm. And and we don't want to... um, not follow what someone's wishes are. Right, right. So who who should have a living will? Well, I would say that this is part of adulting. So mm-hmm. if you're an adult, you should have a, a living will. Um, if you don't have one, then the person that would default legally to make your legal decisions would be your spouse. Uh, if you don't have a spouse, then it would be any adult children that you mm-hmm. have. If you don't have any adult children, then your parents and then it it keeps going down the line, where it starts naming aunts and uncles and cousins. Sure., uh, but the state of South Dakota does have a very defined legal process of who is making those decisions, okay? For you. And in some families, you may not want the next person legally listed on. The form to be making those decisions, whether you're estranged from that family member, or you haven't seen them for ten, fifteen years, right. and they don't know what your values are. So, uh, this is your way of taking your health care in control. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for you to be involved and in control of what your wishes are, it's in your best interest to name the person who you feel knows you and
0: will honor your wishes and and thoughts. Very good. All right. Well, it's time for us to take our first break. Uh, Following these words from Avera Medical Group Brookings, Dr. Cruz and I will be happy to discuss the medical issues of interest to you. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. radio program. I am Laura Ellsworth filling in for Joan Hogan. Dr. Cruz is here in the studio with me and we have been discussing living wills and what it what a living will is and uh, we talked a little bit about who needs one. We said all adults need one. Um, You know I think that um, as a younger adult um, you often feel like oh that's so far away so not important Um, just you know running through our daily lives of we're Dr. Cruz and I were just talking about how our children are busy running around to different activities, so these things can kind of just end up, oh, I should do that, but I don't get around to it. um but I think your point of of doing having um all of us as adults should really have these things in place is a really great point now, you, Dr. Cruz, do you have your living will and all of that done? Yes, yes, I have
1: a living will and a power of attorney, which is also part of an events directive, so. Uh, a power attorney is where you state um, someone who can speak for you on your behalf and basically be the person who carries out that living will and make sure the things discussed on the living will are known by your healthcare team. Mm-hmm. So yes, my husband and I have had those papers drawn up and we've done that and yeah, you know, it, it's part of just making sure that you're taking care of yourself and your family. So. Yes,
0: right. Uh, my husband and I have also done it and um we kind of made a date afternoon of it and went through all the documents and we were like, this is like one of the most depressing things we've ever done is trying to think of these different scenarios. But it's also really valuable to have those conversations um, with the people you love and think about and get those things documented. And it felt good to have it. Done. It felt very adult to have it done and uh, um, felt like that was something important for our families. Um, so we've touched on this already but could you give some examples or some reasons why you feel these living wills are so important maybe even from your personal experience as a physician why how you've seen these living wills um, have value have value Mm -hmm.
1: well definitely it lets us know what the person wants and I have seen it where uh, there can be multiple children from various states coming in and Usually it's one child that's been out of state and all of a sudden mom is sick and in the hospital and they don't know what mom wants. They haven't seen mom in the last 5, 10 years. And they want everything possible done under the sun and they want this you know, mom to be 50 again mm-hmm. and, and healthy and back to the way she was. And the children who have been here taking her to doctor's appointments, taking care of her, you know, and seeing all of what's been going on and watched mom decline and health get worse, uh, they kind of have a better understanding of what's going on and how to help. And sometimes those two uh, siblings can be at odds. Mm -hmm. And the living will kind of becomes that tiebreaker. Well, this is what mom wants. This isn't about what we want for mom. This is about what her wishes are. So it can really um, help prevent some family infighting and, you know, accusations between siblings or why they're doing or not doing something Mm -hmm. you say i'm i'm honoring my mom's wishes Mm -hmm. and that again takes the pressure about this isn't my decision this isn't what i want this is what they wanted and we're honoring that Mm -hmm. so it it can really um i think help if there's concerns between the family about who is making the decisions and what decisions are being made, especially if there isn't consensus. This is to say, okay, this is the person who, who has been given the right to have the voice as the healthcare power of attorney. And this is what the living will is that the healthcare power of attorney is supposed to carry out. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really where where it helps is when not everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. And then it's not about which sibling forces their way to have done. It's about giving the parent what they wished. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's an
0: important thing. Yes, yes, absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about um, what it is, why it's important how do we go about getting our living will? Okay. There are many, many ways you
1: can do this. Okay. It's,
0: it's very easy. Um, one, uh, talk to
1: your doctor at your annual physical. We have forms in the clinic. We can get those to you. Another option would be talking with your lawyer when you're doing other estate planning uh, because they do have forms. The South Dakota Bar Association has a living will form. Each state kinda has their own living will forms and requirements. Uh, I know in the Avera, website, you can download forms for South Dakota, Nebraska, uh, Iowa, and Minnesota. Okay. So, like I said, each state has slightly different things that uh, they have addressed as a minimum requirements for a living will and you can download those. Even if you just Google you know, South Dakota Advanced Directive, you will come up with tons of templates and forms you can fill out. Okay. And um, go over those and it should be like you said, it, it takes an an afternoon a couple of, you know hour right. or so just to kind of talk about it, and you know it doesn't have to be morbid. You can you know just talk about what your wishes are right, with, and the important thing as I said, is for someone to hear what you say so so they don't have to guess mm-hmm. so and we can't come up with every scenario that could possibly happen, so this is where that power of attorney, which is part of the advance directive, uh, comes in, so they can help guided by what they know your thoughts and wishes are if some situation were to turn up that wasn't addressed in the living will. Because sure. we can't talk about every possible outcome or every possible you know, scenario that's, that would just be a 100-page document then. You know, If this, then do this. and right. it, it would be very hard. So that's where your power of attorney can help uh, guide things based on your living will when um, a unique situation arises.
0: Yes. So it could be as simple as just filling out the form kind of on your own uh-huh. and you I'm sure sign it. Yeah, and it then- needs to be signed and it needs to be witnessed by two different people. Okay. Uh, the witnesses cannot
1: be family members. Okay. Or anyone that has kind of a vested interest or a conflict of interest sure. here. Um, it also cannot be signed by your doctor or your uh, doctor's nurse okay so so it can't be a, a clinic staff member now it can be notarized but it does not have to be okay so you know having it notarized is just kind of a nice thing but like I said a lot of people end up doing this part of their estate planning they take it into the lawyer their lawyer is one who and one of their staff witnesses it so
0: mm-hmm. but minimum you need two witnesses okay all right very good and what um when, when is it appropriate to maybe talk to your physician about it? I know sometimes as a patient, I come in and I feel like, oh, my physician's so busy. They have so much to do. I don't want to, like, um, overwhelm them. So when is it kind of appropriate or is it always appropriate to bring up the living will and questions you might have about that?
1: Well, I would say I would never discourage anyone from asking a question if they had one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can definitely talk about it. I mean, this is a good thing to ask when you have your annual physical or any time you're you know, coming in. You might be a little rushed if you have a sore throat and you've got a lot of questions about this, but sure. annual physical is a great time. Um, it is part of the annual Medicare wellness uh, visit. So okay. all Medicare patients are entitled to an annual, annual Medicare wellness visit where they s- sit down and talk with the nurse for an hour about many different things with their health. But part of that is discussing with their physician, do they have an advanced directive? Do they have a power of attorney? And to discuss that. So that one is literally built into that visit. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you haven't had your annual Medicare wellness visit, uh, take advantage. It's it's a free service
0: provided. It, you're entitled to it, so use it and that would be a great time to get all those questions answered. Great. So um, as a non-medical person um, some of these things are just very unknown to me and i don't always you know understand so what are some of the the options that you like to talk through with your patients to help them better better understand if they um, select a certain box or uh, make a certain indication what that kind of means for yep. them
1: so well actually i will just go literally through the the south dakota forum so sure. one of them talks about organ do- donation mm-hmm. and it says i do not want to have anything donated i don't want my family or power of attorney to do that the next line is i've already signed an agreement that i want to i've, I've registered on my driver's license mm-hmm. um, and then i give you know permission to donate and it said any needed organ part or just the following ones that you list okay and then you kind of basically say what what do you want to have done so these uh forms are very Um, good at just kind of walking you through the different options. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, you know, if my death is imminent, I choose not to prolong my life. If life-sustaining treatment has been started, stop it, but keep me comfortable and control pain versus in the event my death is imminent, I choose to prolong my life and by any means possible. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, I choose neither of the above because that's not quite right. So let me write in what I I want. So you can make it as customized as you want. Mm -hmm. And um, I think on one of them, it's really nice. It says, when making healthcare decisions for me, my agent should think about actions that would be consistent with past conversations we've had, my treatment preferences as expressed in this document, my religious and other beliefs and values, and how I've handled medical and other important issues in the past. Mm. And then they give, like, the rest of the paper to write in your thoughts on that and wishes. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, you can make it very Uh, detailed about what's been important to you in the past. Mm -hmm. So those are are kind of the the bare-bones ones. Um, There is some regarding artificial nutrition, but that's not uh, necessarily considered part of a standard South
0: Dakota um, power power of attorney or advanced directive. Sure, very good. So it might be good to maybe um, pick a copy of this up when you're in the clinic or Mm -hmm. um, print one off online. Spend some time reading it, looking through it, and then identify what questions you have and bring those into your next... uh, um, appointment. appointment and you can follow up with your physician about some of those things all right thank you for that great information so we're going to take our next break and following these words from Avera Medical Group Brookings Dr. Cruz and I'll be happy to discuss any of your questions give us a call at 605-692-1430 mm-hmm. Welcome back to the Prairie Doc Radio Program. I am Laura Ellsworth, filling in for Joan Hogan, and Dr. Jill Cruz is in the studio with us today, and we are talking about a very important topic. We're talking about living wills and advanced directives, what they are and what um, we need to consider, and um, how those are so helpful to family, friends, to your um, care providers to know your wishes and make sure they're um, doing their best to to serve you in the way you want to be treated. So, um, we did have a question come in. Um, the question is, can a family member overwrite a living will?
1: So, according from, this is straight from Department of Social Services um, state website, they've got lots of questions, and answers about living wills. And mm-hmm. it said, um, can an agent make a decision against my wishes or proper medical practice? The short answer is no. Okay. Um, An agent must follow your wishes and must consider your physician's recommendations. And uh, the decision by your agent must be within the range of accepted medical practice. So, you know, it, it has to be good medical practice and they need to follow your wishes. And, you know, if the agent is saying things against what the living will is definitely a lot of times doctors will call together an ethics committee or have everyone sit down and and have a conference to say okay this is what the living will says this is what the patient wants what you're saying is in opposition to that how do we come to an agreement and again we usually let the ethics committee help Mm -hmm. with those tough decisions because these are life and death and very important things and again we want to you know honor the living will because it is a legal document. Right. So uh, the proxy should not, and this is why it's very important to pick the correct proxy, that someone that you have no worries about them overriding. Now at some point you change your mind mm-hmm, and you don't want that person to be your proxy or your situation or circumstances or health has changed and you want to change your living will, that is perfectly acceptable. You can revoke your living will You can, you know, destroy all the current copies that you have. You can, um, any place that has it, you know, if the clinic has it or the hospital has it, get those copies back, destroy them, and then replace it with the new updated version. So Mm -hmm. I always tell people these are fluid documents because they can change over time. Your wishes can change, your health can change over time. So what you wanted when you were 40 may be very different than what you want when you're 80. So Mm -hmm. it's not something that's meant to be signed once and then ignored from there on out. Right. So, you know, and I often have that conversation with patients, I was like, do you have a living will? Yeah, I do. What does it say? I don't know. Sure. <laughs> it's like, well, you have to, I have to know what it says and, and you have to know what it says. It's not just sign it once and forget about it. So again, it's an ongoing conversation that may need to be updated or um, modified at times based on where you currently are in your health
0: Hmm. i think that's a really great point like with this caller um that we um when you write your living will um it's important to also discuss that with your people who will be involved and who love you and want to maybe be involved in making decisions it's um a good idea for you to clearly communicate that to people you know and i know sometimes that might be difficult to bring up i was as i was reading preparing today like it's tricky to bring up but you now you could just say, "Hey, I was listening to this radio program, and this is what they mentioned, and I want to tell you about it, and this is why." Yes. you know, so you can use us, Prairie Duck Radio, as your excuse to uh, bring this up with your family and friends and um, fill them in on um, what you're you're thinking. Because of course, none of us like to be surprised, so it would be no. nice for your family. Um, and those involved in making these decisions to be informed and maybe even have an opportunity to ask you questions about why you chose um, these decisions. And hopefully, that'll keep everyone more on the same page, right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> and knowing having copies of this distributed. So, it'd be good to get a copy of this in your clinic chart. It would be anytime you're admitted to the hospital, make sure they have a copy of it in their chart. Make sure your family members, especially the one you, you know, whoever you name as your power of attorney, has it a copy of it themselves? The worst thing you could do is put it in the bank in a safety deposit box that no one else has access to, and then when we need it, we can't get a hold of it because it's you know Sunday and we can't sure. get into the bank. So how do we get? So don't have it inaccessible. I mean, if you want to have a hard copy kept there for safekeeping, great, but have multiple copies in multiple places. Um, apparently, you can also file it with the. Uh, um, Clerk of Courts with South Dakota. So you can have a copy at the courthouse uh, if you want as well. But I would say the most important is you have a copy somewhere accessible, your family members have a copy, and then your physician, and whenever you're in the hospital,
0: uh, have a copy. Very good. Um, so far, we've talk, been talking mostly about making one for ourselves. But what if there is um, somebody? you know who needs one Um, maybe someone that some a family member that you um, just as a layperson that that you want how would you encourage them or what's an appropriate way to maybe bring that up to them what do you think
1: well I would say uh, just kind of asking you know what are their thoughts and have they thought about this and and written it down Um, a lot of times it gets addressed after there has been a health scare or someone's been in the hospital or, or very sick and is like, oh, I didn't have this, I really should. So um, again, you know, if you're the driver and taking your parents into the hospital to their uh, visit, or if you're taking them to the clinic for an annual visit, you know, talk with them and, and see if they've had it. And let me surprise you, they may have done this like five years ago and never told anybody. Right. And, th- and that's the important thing is, you know, if you pick a power of attorney, um, we need to know about it. So, you know, I, I actually, this happened this November. I, I was, my mother was in the hospital and I asked my dad, so who's the power of attorney? And he's like, well, you are. I was like, oh, I am. (laughs) I was like, when was this decided? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, you have to let them know that they have a, a duty. And, you know, so finally, here it is, a paper that had been signed years ago that listed my, you know, siblings as, power of attorney and uh, and none of us had any clue and it was listed in order of age so my oldest brother was the first to say and then my middle brother and i were alternates okay for it should the first one not choose to participate then it would fall to my brother and me where my oldest brother who is the first one to give the health care choices is an accountant Sure. And then my middle brother is an eye doctor, and then me as the physician, which I wasn't at the time when this form was made. Right. I was just a little snotty-nosed <laughs> college kid who yes. didn't know anything. You know, all of a sudden now we're like, well, maybe we should adjust this so the one with the most medical knowledge can help guide these decisions. Right. So.
0: Excellent point. Keep these documents up to date. Revisit yes, them regularly. Make sure they're still still your wishes. Very good. Well, we need to take our um, final break, but we still have a few minutes for your questions. So following these words from Avera Medical Group, Brookings, Dr. Cruz and I will be happy to discuss those questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. <laughs> Welcome back to the Prairie Dock radio program. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and in the studio today with us is Jill Cruz, and we've been chatting about living wills and how important those are. Hopefully, by the end of this half hour, you have all been convinced to go re-pull yours out, look it over, and if you haven't um, haven't written one yet, get that done, right? It's important to get that done. Um, just want to talk a little bit more about those um, living wills. Um, you know, I... Being married to a medical professional, I hear about some things and, um, you know, one as I was considering some of these things, um, you know, should I give my family member a feeding tube? Should I give my family member an IV? Some of those things as an outside person feel like, yes, absolutely. If they need nutrition, if they need hydration, um, I absolutely want to do that. But uh, um, talking with him, I've learned that's not maybe always the best decision. So could you fill us in on um, how that affects those end-of-life processes? And if you do choose to do that, that, what influence that has?
1: So there are, again, so many different scenarios. So it's hard to give a blanket statement about it. So all of these are tools to Mm -hmm. use. And you need to use the right tool in the right circumstance. So if you went out into the yard and you took a hammer to nail in a screw, that's not the right tool at the right time. Is the hammer wrong? no so same thing with a feeding tube is a feeding tube a wonderful tool yes used in the right circumstances is it life-saving absolutely yes used in the wrong circumstance um, or the wrong time it can prolong suffering and pain and that's Mm -hmm. not what we want to do as physicians and not what i think any family member would want to put their loved one through so you really need again to talk talk with doctors talk with them ask your questions and say you know is this appropriate and and why mm-hmm. so sometimes uh, it can be very rushed and like yes no this is what we should do this is what we're going to do but never be afraid to ask for the why because there's always a why behind our yes or our no mm-hmm. and um you know feeding tombs are good for short-term bridging if we expect there to be a sudden change long-term they Uh, can cause lots of problems and can be very hard on the body and, again, prolong suffering. Uh, Same thing with artificial um, fluid hydration. Again, that can lead to other unintended consequences that can cause more suffering. Fluid building up in the lungs, fluid building up in the legs and causing the skin to swell and and split and -hmm. drain. And So again, you need the right tool at the right time for the right uh, end result that you're looking for and what may be the right tool initially after a period of time you may say you know what this isn't giving us the results we want this isn't helping us now we need to readdress so um, there is no absolute right or wrong you know in every single circumstance with these uh, tools Mm -hmm. so you need to have it very uh, tailored and that's where the physicians experience and training and time uh, really help guide these decisions, but it needs to be a discussion. So, you know, pick their brain and find out why they're making the recommendations that they're they're making, because that will definitely help guide your answers to, is this in alignment
0: with the values of my family member or not? Great. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Cruz. So, so a lot of great information about living wills and advanced directives, talking to your family about your wishes. Um, there's a lot of great resources out there. Dr. Cruz mentioned some online resources. I have to put another plug in for Dr. Holmes' book, Life's Final Season. Um, a lot of great information in there for you to read through and consider um, as you're thinking about these things. We had a quick question about kidney function. What um, BUN kidney function? B U N kidney function. Okay, so yep. the question is about B U N kidney function. Um, what everyday care at home can we do to improve kidney function? Food, exercise, what can we do to help improve well, that?
1: Well, the biggest thing you can do is uh, keep your blood pressure under good control. So don't do things that are going to elevate that, such as smoking, um, high-salt diet. Uh, so you want definitely good blood pressure control. Uh, if that means taking medications that you've been prescribed, take your medications. Um, you know, watch out for the high-salt foods. There's a lot of salt that hides in processed foods, mm-hmm. uh, especially like soups or sure. canned foods have lots of salt in it. Um, exercise is always good. Uh, I know Dr. Holm loves exercise, so yes. I will definitely continue with that bandwagon. It is it is very important for helping. Um, not smoking, and then watching the use of some over-the-counter medications like NSAIDs, so ibuprofen, naproxen, um, all of those can cause some uh, strain on the kidneys, so judicious use of
0: over-the-counter medications. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and we'll listen again for Prairie Doc brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. As always, you can hear and see more from the Prairie Doc online at prairiedoc.org. Thank you, Dr. Cruz. That's all until next week.